So good morning, um, my name is Matt and um, I'm continuing in our Gospel Ready, We Are Gospel Ready series. Thanks Dulcie, slip you the fiver later. Um, and we've reached our, our title of How to Be a Witness. So hopefully so far um, you've had times when you have taken off your like, camouflage jacket where you've exposed like, who you are to people that you may have hidden it from before. Hopefully you've accepted that when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, which makes us twitch a little bit in saying that, you've accepted you are like the light of the world. You heard from like the hilarious Kieran that there is always room. There is always room wherever you go, whether it's shopping, whether it's out to the rugby, there is always room for more people to get to know Jesus, to hear him, meet with him and be saved by him. There is always room. And really significantly last week, Ash, I thought he did an excellent job explaining that the, how brightly you shine is really linked with, with how much your heart burns in your relationship through prayer with Jesus. Like the two are really, really linked. And if you try and just make your witness, like work yourself without like burning with prayer, then it's like just pumping on this boom arm of a windsurfer with no wind, this tiresome, boring, almost pointless effort. And today we reach our, our title of How to Be a Witness. I'll give you a, a little notice for next week. So next week at 12 o'clock, I say we, as many as of, of you as are up for it, are going to be leaving here at 12 o'clock, um, heading towards Cafe Nero at 12.45. Um, and on the way, we're going to be seeing who needs a smile? Who needs like a good afternoon? How are you doing? Who's in a place that, that they might need someone just to listen to them if they're having a really hard time? Is there anyone we might meet that might want prayer for anything or might even want to know Jesus as we start taking like, the love of Jesus and our witness of him um, out into town? We'll meet at Cafe Nero at 12.45. We'll have a 15-minute little um, coffee and a chat about how it's going, and then you'll head home at 1 o'clock. Just a punchy hour from here to there, just seeing if there's anyone that wants to witness the love of Jesus that's in us. The frustrating thing about that, though, is that I can't promise or guarantee um, how successful it's going to be. Like I, could, I could spend this morning trying to give you tricks of the trade as if there is such a thing, although there are some handy tips on how to love people. I could spend the whole morning on, on like tips of the trade to try and like key you up and tool you up so you, we could walk out like a bunch of robots and try and regurgitate some strap line that you've learnt. But that is not the intention of this series. This series wasn't put together, like influenced by God, but us as a leadership team to try and produce a robotic set of like, church members who just walk around trying to be a witness of the love that is within you. It was much more to set your hearts like, on fire for knowing that who God has saved you to be in order to save others through the light and the love that shines through you. Do you know, we learn really clearly in scripture that, that the fruit of our works, like who gets saved, is utterly down to God. Like you could be the best stand-up comic, you could be the best salesman, you can't sell anyone into the kingdom of heaven, you can't argue anyone into the kingdom of heaven. Like the fruit and the success of our witness is entirely down to God. Psalm 3 verse 8 says salvation belongs to the Lord, like it's his. Revelation 7 verse 10, if you didn't hear it properly, literally says in a loud voice this time that salvation belongs to our God. So there's, there's an understandable part of you 
It's like, well, if you can't guarantee that it's going to be a good time, why would I, why would I step out of my comfort zone? Why would I risk like rejection or ridicule? Although ridicule nowadays is really, really, really rare. Why would I risk that if you can't guarantee me success? I know, like, if, if, if the incarnate Jesus Christ landed on the stage right next to me and turned around and said, you know, next Sunday, um, in the 45 minutes walk between here and Nero, Acts 2 will happen in East Grinstead. 3,000 people will be saved from your journey here to Nero. My assumption would be the vast majority of you would come with me on a walk next week. If success was absolutely guaranteed, I would hope that a few of you would be like, why the heck are we only doing this for 45 minutes? <laughs> if, this is like, if this is definitely going to happen, if revival's coming to East Grinstead, well, you can tap out at 12.45, Matt. We are going to keep walking, because if thousands of people are going to get saved, if the success of our witness is guaranteed, then we are in. But I can't. I can't guarantee the success of our witness because salvation belongs to the Lord. What Scripture does, though, is it really teaches us how we can become effective and fruitful witnesses. I never realised this. I've been to loads of training over the years. I've got a heart for, to like reach out to people. I've got a heart for outreach and evangelism and witnessing and all that stuff. I've been to so many different training days that have that have given me some really helpful tools. But none of them have really dealt with, to be honest, how Scripture tells me to be an effective and a fruitful witness. So we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at how being an effective and fruitful witness doesn't start with a training course. It starts in you. And it starts at home. Number two, we're going to look at how being an effective and a fruitful witness, you need to ask for opportunity and then be ready for when opportunity comes. And thirdly, we're going to look at how to be an effective and a fruitful witness. You need to love first and love last in all of your interactions. So number one, how, how can we be a fruitful and effective witness? You know, um, some of you might be old enough to remember when British cycling was awful. You know, I've, I found out that before Dave Brailsford took over the director of um, British cycling, there was a major um, cycling manufacturer, I never knew this, who refused to allow British cyclers to use their bikes because of the damage to their brand. <laughs> they wouldn't even sell them <laughs> bikes to ride because of the damage to the brand they thought it would be. And they took this guy, Dave Brailsford, and he, he lived by this like, philosophy of marginal gains. He was like, you know, I, I can't guarantee like, a gold medal at the end of a race. I can't do that. But what I do believe I can do is, is use like, little incremental gains across lots of different things in the way that we do stuff. And that, I bet, will put us in a place where we might produce like, fruit and goals. And everyone in here is old enough to see how the last like, several Olympics have gone. British cycling went from <laughs> no one, people didn't want them riding their bikes to potentially the most successful team on the planet uh, in Olympic history, I'd almost go as far as to say. And I don't know whether Dave Brailsford came first or Simon Elliott, a great, great man, came first. Chicken, egg, who's the chicken? Who knows? 
But Simon Elliott used to say to me, he's like, Matt, like, you, you're not in control of the fruit of your labor. He's like, but be in control of your controllables. So like, if you could like, try, and, try and do the things that you've got in front of you well, then that puts you in a good position for God to do some great stuff in you. 2 Peter 1, from verse 3 to 10, tells you, literally tells you how to not be an ineffective and unfruitful witness. It tells you and explains exactly how to put yourself in a position where you will not be disappointed in your witness and your witness will not be a waste of time. It says this from verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. He's given us his very great and precious promises. And for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual or brotherly affection, and love. This is key, verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge or witness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Comes with a warning. It says, whoever does not have these qualities is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. So make every effort to confirm your calling and election as witnesses of Jesus. In verse 8, those two words, like ineffective and unproductive, can be translated into like our modern language speak as lazy and barren. Being an effective and a fruitful witness starts in you, and it starts in your home. The effectiveness and fruitfulness that is promised to you is promised if these qualities, these characteristics, these fruits of the Holy Spirit that our best mate Banana Man, what a backflip, has been teaching our kids all this term. The fruit of the Spirit, if that fruit is in you and gradually growing, increase in your character, then the promise of Scripture is that you will be an effective and a fruitful witness of Jesus. If these characteristics aren't growing in you, if the fruit of the Spirit, His character, is not growing in you, your witness will probably look more like Ash Taylor on a still lake, pumping on on a windsurf boom arm, getting tired out and bored, not seeing success, wondering why, when God makes it clear, if you want to be an effective and a fruitful witness of me, this is going to start in you. And heartbreakingly, it's not as easy as cycling, because it starts in your home, like this is my prop for the week. Cute, aren't they? Apart from the guy in the corner. It starts in your home, because the place, heartbreakingly, that that my character is on display most is most certainly not on the stage when I get to iron a nice shirt, would have worn a blaze if it wasn't so hot under the lights. It's with my wife and my boys. And I'll let you know now, there are only three people in the world I apologise to almost as much as I apologise to God. using a sleeve, obviously, don't worry about it. Thanks for snapping me out of that. Because the example I set these guys, 
I can't, I can't put on or, or give my best for like a, like a 25 minute slot. They see me all the time. And my witness, more importantly, the integrity of my witness to my wife and my sons is by far more important than any technique of witnessing about Jesus I could put on between here and Nero or, or at the end when I speak to you. The effectiveness and fruitfulness of my witness, according to Scripture, is how much of my character, how much of the fruit of the Holy Spirit do these guys see on a day-to-day? And some days it's not much. It's really, really poor. So I apologise. I, I don't know if there's been a week that's gone by um, in, oh, in the last like, seven years that I haven't had to sit down with either my boys or my wife and say, I'm so sorry for the, how far I fall short of the one who I follow, who loves me. And the challenge from this scripture is, it's not to leave you in a really low place, but it's to say to you, like, integrity matters. Not performance, or not like religion, like integrity of heart matters. David, in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 17, says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. Psalm 41, verses 11 and 12 says, I know that you are pleased with me. My enemy doesn't triumph over me. Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Psalm 119, verse 1 says, Joyful. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. So when I was preparing this and I was seeing um, this like 2 Peter 1 scripture, I'm like, man, I, I've, I've learned some tricks of the trade. But I realised what, what holds me back is how hard I focus on asking the Holy Spirit to fill me so that those qualities that are listed aren't something I achieve through some levels of Christianity, but through my closeness to him. Through my relationship, how, heart, how much my heart burns in prayer and asks the Holy Spirit to fill me. My effectiveness and fruitfulness as a witness of the Lord is probably really heavily linked to how much I try and demonstrate to my wife and my boys at home. How much I am trying to walk with the Holy Spirit every day. It left me in a place, uh, preparing this, where the writer of Lamentations 3.20 was... Where he says, my soul continually remembers and is bowed down when when I see like my my failings and my faults, how not patient I am, how not kind I am, how quick I am to get angry or frustrated. All those things that fall so far short of the example that I'm I'm meant to be a witness of. And preparing this, I was was like, Lord, I I just feel worse. (laughs) I feel so, I just... When you see how far you fall short, you're like, where do I go from here? Well, hallelujah for what the gospel does. Because the writer of Lamentations didn't stay in verse 20. He didn't stay like continually bowed down. He said, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. So great is your faithfulness. So the joy of the gospel is we won't do a show of hands <laughs> and we won't stand on a line from who's like a perfect parent right the way through to who's like 
one of the worst, and maybe I'll stand there to start with. It's not about that. But there's a call from God to say, do you know, there are characteristics in you. Some might be inherited. Some might be learnt. Some might just be natural. Who knows? But there are characteristics in you that you don't have to just pretend aren't there, or you don't have to just switch off when you're officially doing a witness thing. But there are characteristics in you that I want to grow and replace with my qualities, with my fruit, with my witness, with my character. So if you're sat there and you're thinking, oh, that, that's me. You don't have to stay continually bowed down. You don't have to stay just putting on a little bit of a chat on a Sunday morning, trying to come across like you're much better a witness than you feel like you are. Because thanks be to God that his mercy is brand new today. And you could start your, your journey, which I have been, of like marginal gains, of trying to rely on the Holy Spirit to fill me that I would be a better witness, not first in front of you guys or on the way to Nero, but to my boys, to my wife. So being an effective and fruitful witness, it has to start in you. And the place it's probably going to start first is going to be at your home. Number two, you've got to ask for opportunity and be ready for it. The Bible is so crystal clear. Ephesians 2.10 says, We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we would walk in them. Like good works for you to be a witness are planned every single day, either in your home, the people that you're around, or outside in the world where people don't know about Jesus. Colossians 4 verse 5 and 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders who don't know Jesus yet. Make the best use of time and opportunities. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt and love, so that you may know how to answer people who question you. And 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts, honour Christ. Obviously, honour Christ. But always be prepared, and it says this, to make a defence to anyone who asks for a reason, like for the hope that is in you. Do you know the, the, most, the most important, significant and ultimate defence that you have is your personal story of how God opened the eyes of your heart and what he's done for you. That will always, always trump, so to speak, any argument, any debate, any conversation about evidence, etc. But what I've learned over the years is that some people need to understand that faith in Jesus isn't just this blind, oh, let's stick all my chips on, on black or on red. It's not this blind hope of, well, maybe if there is a God and I do die, I don't want to face him and go to hell, so well, let's just, I'll just become a Christian then and just hope that something is out there when I die. Some people need more than like the personal experience. They need to be one to understand that faith in God is not blind hope. It can be based on reason. So you can prepare yourself to help people understand that you don't have to switch your brain off in order to put your faith in Jesus. So some of the greatest scientific minds of all time, even of today, are Christians. And their faith has driven their pursuit of science Knowing that they're, well, if there's this God of order who has ordered the universe, it makes science and mathematics possible. I can trust that there is order to discover. Newton, Bacon, Pascal, Kelvin, Faraday, Mendel, Fleming, some of the greatest minds ever have seen 
what is before them, and it has pointed them to a God who sorted it. Science doesn't go against faith. Some people don't know that. Not because they're, they're like defiant atheists, but they've just been taught, like, well, if you've got faith, you've just got to switch your brain off and just pretend nothing else exists. It's not true. Francis Collins, the head of the Human Genome Project that decoded the six billion long line letter of DNA, saw that and was like, that does not come out of chaos. <laughs> there is a hand at work in here. But it wasn't that that got him saved. It was the challenge of a patient in a hospital. It wasn't the argument that won him. It was the testimony that won him. But some people need to know, like, it's okay. You don't have to switch your brain off to have faith in God. It turns out, like, like all of science like, points towards this universe having a finite beginning, which points to the cause of it being an unfor- uncaused first cause. It's a little bit wordy, but something outside of space, time, and matter must have started all this. The only thing we know of at the moment is God. So he's allowed to be on the table. It's not proof. You're not arguing proof. You're not trying to argue someone into the kingdom of heaven, but you're trying to explain to them, like, God gets to be on the table. Like, it's okay. The only hope you have for, like, objective morality, where we know this is wrong. This will, child abuse will always be wrong, has always been wrong, and no form of evolution or evolutionary thought will ever take this to a place where, oh, no, it's actually okay now. We know that objective morality exists and the only hope you have of an objective moral standard would be God, not proof. But he has to stay on the table. You can prepare your heart to help someone see, oh, I don't have to switch my brain off to the things that I believe in order to entertain or to seek God through either an alpha course, coffee and pastry with you, Pastry's great. You can prepare your heart. Even this, even this Bible. Do you know, some people genuinely have learnt or think that Jesus Christ is a myth. It's easy to explain. Do you know, there's no legitimate historian on the planet who would try and contend that there was no Jesus of Nazareth. He's, a, he's irrefutably a historical figure. Not proof he was who he was, but you can entertain us to stay on the table. Even, the, even this book itself, I was chatting to someone recently, they thought this was just this, a similar kind of religious book to every other's. They had no idea. This is the greatest piece of ancient literature of all time, stands alone so remarkably uniquely. Over 40 different authors, over 1,500 years, compiled a, book, a number of letters and documents that all point towards the same uncaused, first cause, only option that we know of to start the universe. It's quite a remarkable book. Even the New Testament, someone was saying the other day, oh, but it's changed loads, hasn't it? Well, you obviously don't know much about how accurate this is. Do you know, of the 138,000 words in the New Testament, there's only about 1% that are remotely up for grabs. Textual scholars, that's how they do ancient literature, gather all the ancient manuscripts together and weigh them to see what the original must have been. And there's only 1% that is remotely up for grabs. And every single one of those words that is questioned, is a word like ours or yours. Makes no difference to the meaning of scripture. This is the most accurate, from textual scholars, 
ancient piece of literature of all time, and it stands so far on its own, this is nothing like every other religious book. doesn't prove it, but it keeps it on the table. All those things, you don't need to learn off by heart, like, oh, oh, what did Matt say? T- textual, textual, 20,000 manuscripts. You don't have to learn things off by heart, but it's helpful knowing that you're going to get given opportunities by God to share why the hope is in me. And you don't have to solely rely on your personal experience that some people will just bat away because they don't want to feel like they switched their brain off. My best friend in learning how to like, talk to people is actually Google. I'm not that bright. I don't remember a great deal. I, I Google things. and I, Well, did you know this? Prepare your heart. Ask for opportunity. Be ready to give an answer. And there's... I've, I've mentioned them in your notice sheets. Um, they, they might come up. There's a super six of the gospel. The six verses that I would go to, if someone really wanted to know what the gospel was, I'd go to like Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, you know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 5 verse 8, you know, God demonstrates his own love for us, that he died for us while we were still sinners. Ephesians 2 verse 8, and this, this grace is how we're saved. It's not through works like every other religion, every single other religion through works, but not this, not this gift of salvation. And do you want to know how? 2 Corinthians 5 21, because God put all of my wrong on him who had done no wrong, so that in him I could be made right with God. And how do you start this relationship? Well, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. You don't need to become a perfect guy or a girl. You don't have to start doing the right things. You declare with your mouth, Jesus, you're my Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you'll be saved. You can prepare your heart and prepare yourself for the opportunities that present themselves. And not by chance, but it's because God has made you. He has called you and elected you to be his witness. And finally, I'm going to land with as equally as important, I think, as the integrity of your witness at your home as well as outside. It's point three, love first and love last. I think I've, I started off my Christian life quite a zealous, I'd say really courageous witness, but a terrible one. I'd, I worked at a place called MK Airlines. I would, I would announce to a very anti-Jesus office. I'm off for a prayer walk. I would put my Bible on my desk. I would see it as a fight, like bring it. Like try and put me off my faith. Once a guy picked up my Bible in front of everyone. He's like, oh, you think your God speaks to you, does he? I was like, yeah, he does. I was like, you think he'd speak to me, would you? I was like, it's up to him. He's like, he's not my dog. I was like, I don't get to tell him. And he's like, well, open it anywhere, anywhere, read what it says and let's see if your God wants to speak to me. I opened up Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. <laughs> now, now pause for a second, because that's what I did. I pointed at him. I laughed at him. I was like, gotcha, in your face, you loser. I was like, one nil to God. <laughs> I was like, what's next, buddy? Do you know that guy? His mum was dying of terminal cancer. Just think he needed a slap. Just think he needed me to win. My argument, when you speak to people, are you trying to win someone for like your own glory? 
or are you trying to show someone his? My argumentative, confrontational attitude was nothing short of gross. Don't do it. There's a guy called Robert Quillian, and he said, discussion is an exchange of knowledge. Argument is just an exchange of ignorance. That's not Jesus. I'm meant to be a witness of unconditional, universal love of, okay, you first. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to argue with you. I want to love you first and love you last. There are tricks of the trade. There are tricks of the trade, but they are based around being ready, having integrity in your witness, loving first and loving last. So the other week, me, Lizzie, and our brother-in-law, Nate, were in Brighton, and this homeless guy comes up, and he, uh, he does this little rap spoken word thing, and he's like, oh, that's how I make money. Like, could you give me some money? And I kind of looked at him, and I was like, it wasn't a great poem anyway. <laughs> and I'd spent, I'd spent my change um, in the arcade shooting things with Nate. Sorry if you think that's sinful. It's loads of fun, though. Um, and I knew I had a note in my pocket, and I was like, oh, I'm not sure. But then I felt God give me a nudge. He loved him. And I was, and I was like, oh, okay. I was like, I need to talk with this guy because I don't want this guy to feel like he's my pet project of the day of now I need to tell you about Jesus. And so I was like, I was like, oh, man, what's your name? He's like, oh, my name's Tell. And as I tell you, I'd love to give you some money, but where's like, where's like the nearest ATM? I knew I'd got money in my pocket, but I needed a chance to talk to him. And so he's like, oh, there's one just over there. And I was thinking, oh, it's way too close. I was like, no, I'm not going that way. I'm going to the pier. I know there's ATMs on the pier. I was like, is there an ATM there? And he's like, yeah, but it's a bit further away. I was like, either you want my money or you don't. I was like, we can walk and talk, or you can just stay and bless you, and I might see you later. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll come. And I listened to him. He'd been recently stabbed, horrendously abused as a kid. Guy was broken. Yeah, he needed a bit of money. He needed someone to love him. To love him first and love him last. And as we walked and talked, I didn't try and squeeze in every conversation about Jesus. When we got to the pier, and I went to the ATM. Unfortunately, he turned around, stuck my card in, pressed reject because I had the money in my pocket already. And gave him it. And then said, I was like, could I pray for you? Like, Where's your faith? Have you got a faith in God? I didn't hold the money back like I, and make him feel like if he didn't say yes, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't pray for him. Because I love him first and I love him last. And if, if there's an opportunity available for, for me to witness more about the love of Jesus than just loving him in the moment, then that's down to God, isn't it? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. And he let me like, pray with him and talk to him a little bit about faith. Then he went on his way. Saw him later, said hello. I don't know what the fruit of that is because salvation belongs to the Lord. But I know that if I start trying to make little gains through the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life, in front of my wife and my boys, if I accept and acknowledge there's going to be opportunity for me, I need to prepare my heart for it. And I love first and love last. And scripture promises me I will not be an ineffective and unfruitful witness. Ben, could I have you guys back up, please? And that is, that is our prayer as fellow believers. When the aim of this series isn't to produce. I honestly use my sleeve, but bless you. 
It is not to produce like a church full of robots who feel duty-bound to witness and witness and witness and, oh, I need to talk about Jesus in every conversation. No, because there's no integrity of heart there and that's what God longs for. So this morning we're going to do communion. There's going to be an opportunity, if you don't know Jesus yet, for you to meet with him. But I'd challenge you that when we do communion later, if in your heart you recognise that, like Lamentations 3, your heart is a little bit bound down when you realise my my integrity of witness at home does not line up with what I want it to be outside. There's a time to repent of that and say sorry for that. But God won't be a car wash this morning and take away all your impatience, all of your character flaws, but he promises to fill you and start to grow those qualities that guarantee you will not be an ineffective and unfruitful witness. So I ask you to stand. We're going to worship the Lord. I'm just going to close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I thank you. Your mercy and your grace is brand new today, no matter how much of a mess we feel in our parenting or our witnessing. I thank you that the furthest person away from you this morning could be welcomed in by this perfect God who loves us. And I ask you to be glorified, Lord. Amen. Hey, my name's Dan Baptist and I'm lead pastor here at Jubilee Community Church. We really hope that something from this morning's word has blessed you and reached you. And if you'd like to talk about anything you've heard or just be able to talk about maybe faith or get some prayer, then please get in contact. You can email us, give us a call at the centre and one of the team's going to get back to you. We'd love to do this, especially if you're just thinking about what it is to become a Christian. You want to sit down and really talk that through with anyone. We also run regularly on a Sunday some joining the church courses. And if you want to know more about Jubilee Community Church and what it is to belong here, then you can just uh, find out online when the next one of those is going on and you can attend, have a meal, sit down, talk about it. We also have some amazing midweek group life uh, where it's a great opportunity to dig further into your faith. Again, you can find out that on our website too. Anyway, just wanted to say hi and uh, bless you and we'll catch up soon.